This is Anubhava, a podcast for art, science and philosophy exploring our relationship to everyday experiences between the mind, body and environment. Anubhava is a Sanskrit word translated to experience that is vital to examine the everydayness of things in themselves. This word has the potential to bridge huge gaps in continental and eastern phenomenology in our conscious understanding of knowledge emerging from embodied cognition. I am Shashank Satish, the principal investigator of the XPC or Experiential Cognition Lab currently based out of Bangalore practicing at the limits, horizons and possibilities of accounting for plural everyday experiences in art science and consciousness research. You are listening to the third episode of Anubhava, the second of two episodes with Dr. Sundar Sarukai where we unpack and trace the philosophical roots of experience and its role in art, science and society. Sundar Sarukai is the founder of the Barefoot Philosophers, an initiative to bring philosophy to the public. He was a professor at the National Institute of Advanced Studies in Bangalore till 2019 and was the founder director of the Manipal Center for Philosophy and Humanities, Manipal University. He is presently a visiting faculty at the Center for Society and Policy, Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore. Dr. Sundar is the author of the following books Translating the World, Science and Language, Philosophy of Symmetry, Indian Philosophy and Philosophy of Science, What is Science, Philosophy for Children, and two books co authored with Kopal Guru, The Crack Mirror, an Indian debate on experience and theory and Experience, Caste and the Everyday Social. He is also the co-chief editor of the Springer Handbook of Logical Thought in India, the series editor for the Science and Technology Studies series Routledge, and the editorial advisory member of Leonardo Magazines. Logical School um, everybody seems to have different takes on it, uh, whether it's, um, you know, you have Merleau-Ponty, you have Husserl, you have Heidegger, and anybody, Karl Haspers and others. So each of them seem to have done something else with it. But I think um, the larger Husserlian question is still very relevant, which is that if I'm going to be able to, uh, so let me put it this way, that all that you have are experiences. And that's why experience is a fundamental category. Anything you can say about the world has to be discovered from these experiences. In other words, I, I have the experience of eating the, the apple being sweet. Now, any knowledge about the apple I can give you have to be extracted from this experience. So all I'm given are the experiences. How you extract from it is what is going to be called as science or art or whatever else you want to do. We know that uh, Husserl and Heidegger came in 
late 19th century, early 20th century, and um, this was the same time when they were, uh, you know, talking about experience. But on the other side, there were the positivists who sort of uh, strayed far away from experience, and um, you know, during the time of the World Wars, even came up with the atomic bomb and looked at uh, science as this, um, you know, discipline or this source of knowledge which can produce something as destructive as an atomic bomb. So how do you then um, look at, say, science through uh, the idea of experience? What is experience for science in that sense? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, much before this, I mean, much before um, early 20th century and what happens, uh, including all the bombs and so on, um, there is a, you know, there's a earlier question which uh, is very central to the development of science, and that is its engagement with the idea of experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so one way to read your question is to say, how does science look at experience? Which means you could, it could as well, you might probably be asking, how does one do a scientific study of experience? Mm-hmm. That's one type of question which you know uh, traditions in cognitive science etc might look at or um, you might want to look at it in the way I'm going to look at it now mm. what is the engagement between sciences and larger activity and experience as a category mm. okay and that's a very important point to start with because it also tells you why in modern intellectual dis- practices and modern academic disciplines experience has always been banished is always kept out Mm, true. Because um, a very important part of the idea of science necessitates that experience is not going to be a fundamental category of the sciences. Mm. And it goes back to this very simple question, right? That how do I distinguish between my experience of what I see or experience, perceive in the world and the way the world really is, independent of me. And this is a very important starting point for science. The starting point for science is to articulate the way the world is, not the way the world is according to me. Mm. The earth is going around the sun, then I should be able to have a great certainty in making these statements that the earth is round or the earth goes around the sun without qualifying for me, for me all the time. Mm. Which means the concern of science is really not about our experience. In fact, the possibility of science is only when it can banish experience from the way we understand the world. Now, what you, you do that by fiat. It's a fatwa. Mm. Like you say, uh, what I measure and what I see in the world is what I want to start. The starting point for science is the dropping off the for me and say, well, the table is yellow. And then let's do experiment and figure out whether it's really yellow or not, etc. So the starting point is not to start from the experience. But the starting point for certain philosophical traditions would be to say, you know, the honest ones, like the phenomenological ones, say, look, this is all that I have. I may not like it. But I have to figure out a way to move from this to making the statement independent of me. Right. Okay. But for science, if you say the earth is round, the earth is round, that's it. I'm, I, it, I'm not interested in statements 
which depend on the human subject. Mm -hmm. So the removal of experience from science is actually the removal of the human subject from scientific knowledge. There is no presence of the human subject in matters of science. So what constitutes the doing of science is therefore to only talk about those things which are not dependent on the human system or the human subject. Because if it has to be independent from all of us. So I see uh, we are clearly talking about the subject and the object, the quantity and the quality and how this <coughs> plays out in science, philosophy and in our own life, ex everyday yeah. life experiences. Can you uh, like briefly touch upon how you know this is kind of changing from the pure hard sciences to now say cognitive science which is kind of using uh, the basis of experience now to study mm. the neurons in the brain or the mental states of being in our moods and you know mm. these kinds of aspects of experience <clears throat> that are being studied. Do you see that as a good thing because it, it has been built up through the last century coming into say uh, 1991 when human experience and cognitive science was written and it, it is coming together where you know uh, Thomas Varela falls back upon Merleau-Ponty to talk about uh, mm. experience uh, and phenomenology and, and then builds upon it. So uh, looking forward and looking at the current state of say uh, science, how can we reconcile if I may, uh, this experience versus science, because uh, no paper in science uses the word I in it. You can't be yeah. the first person at all in any scientific research. So how does that play out in our understanding of experience? Okay, uh, I think you know part of the challenge here is to um, you know change a little bit on the meaning of science. You know, if science is the task of science. Mm. is to produce knowledge about a world mm. independent of the human subject. Mm. In fact, any basic definition of what is real, the idea of reality is that which is outside me and independent of me. Mm. That's the reality. That's the very basic zeroth level definition we use right from philosophy. If I want to talk about realism, that which is outside of me and independent of me. And I presume that this house is outside of me and independent of me. So even if I'm not there, the house is going to be there. If I don't look at it, it's going to be there. Oh, you know, the same big discussions on skepticism, etc. Mm. Now, one can start with these positions. But phenomenology's point is, you cannot, you'll have to come to those conclusions rather than as start as the assumptions. Mm. Now, science has made a very clear, uh, therefore, uh, therefore that the external world, the description of the external world becomes the most important aspect for it. And not that of the internal world. Mm. and experience is part of the internal world mm. so it's able to remove completely the idea of the internal first of all uh, and its relationship with the external and just focus on the external so for science we are all uh, machines with sensory organs of what we do that's it there's no necessary to invoke experience there's no connection to any of these questions about whether you feel like this or you don't feel like it because for them the table is yellow independent of the fact whether along with the sensory apparatus like a camera which uh, senses it as yellow, I also have a feeling of yellowness and all that. They say, well, it's good that if you're having it, but it doesn't matter to me, I don't care about it. Mm. I'm only interested in the first part 
of how your sensory, sensory organs are working. Because it says, ah, that's my concern and I'm going to work with it. With that, with some notion of naive realism, commonsensical realism is my starting point. Okay? So, for science then to shift from, so it, it builds a whole technique. When science builds in the hard sciences, like physics, mm -hmm. and even to a large extent chemistry, and with the use of mathematics as a very mm -hmm. important component of them, um, it is actually working about the external world completely mm -hmm. by cutting out all the questions of uh, sensory experiences. Mm -hmm. So that's why, for example, I often um, mention this, chemistry, which is a very sensual discipline, mm -hmm. is complete, the whole world of sensuality is removed in chemistry, mm -hmm. in the textbooks of chemistry. Mm -hmm. In the sense... The real scientific knowledge about chemistry is not whether chlorine is smelling like this or tasting like that. I mean, those are all fun when you're in fifth standard, sixth standard, you know, they'll tell you some basic questions. It's yellow in color, it's pungent in taste and stuff. After that, it doesn't matter at all. It's just molecules, Cl2 and how does chlorine atom look? How does chlorine molecule look? How does it react with sodium and so on? And what kind of valence, how many electrons are being this on? Everything is about that. There is nothing to do with any sensory input into the whole domain of chemistry, although chemistry is the most colorful, most smell-defined, you know, in terms of all kinds of smells, from sweet smells, esters and so on, to things like hydrogen sulfide. I mean, it's, it's a world filled with smells and color. But that is not scientific knowledge of chemistry. Because those whole ideas of associated feelings with them are completely kept aside and they are indifferent to it. So it is reduced to something. It is reduced to a formula. So one way you can say it is, it is uh, reduced to or another way is to say, well, it is uh, removes that component out of it. Mm. So I think if we really push scientists, if they want to think about this and say, well, um, you know, can how can you do without experience? They may say, look... I'm just saying I'm not factoring it in the doing of my science. Mm. I'm not going to deny you don't have an experience of seeing the aloneness of this table. Mm -hmm. I can grant you that, yeah, there is a feeling of seeing the aloneness. But it doesn't matter to the doing of science. Mm. So I'm just going to stick with you know, a particular thing. I'm not, you, this may happen. This may be there. But I'm not taking that into account it because it does not matter to the truth I create about what the world is like. Your internal feelings do not matter. Mm. And that is a crucial point because that's the notion of realism which begins with science. Human subjects, whether you are here or not, the earth is going around the sun. Newton's law of gravity, m1, m2 by r squared, is true whether human beings are there or not. Mm. Or whether human subjects measure them or not. That's the claim. And you need to do a lot of you know, thinking to see whether this claim makes sense and how you would challenge it. But that's another story. The point is, I'm, I'm telling you how the world M1, M2 by R squared behaves. That's Newton's law of gravity. We don't need human subject. We don't need human sensory apparatus. It has got nothing to do with it. And that's, yeah, so that's why for, uh, for science, a lot of nature is actually reduced to language. Mm. That's another great story another time but what I'm trying to say is therefore uh, the internal world has never been you know part of scientific understanding in the hard sciences so when you have things like psychology as a first challenge to it mm. 
Mm. So, with psychology begins, and you, we know the early philosophy of science, the whole debate on whether psychology is a science or not. And even today in India, you can still do BA in psychology and BSc in psychology. Mm. You know, everybody is so confused about it. It's like on really, you know, Jekyll Hyde <laughs> stuff. Because, uh, so one way in which you can easily convert it into a science is to mimic certain experiments or make it quantitative or do, and do it stuff like that and so on. So that's okay. I mean, whatever people want to do with these things. So, but, uh, but the real challenge is that science is now has to bring its methods and it's more than methods is assumptions, which are the foundations of any science into the study of the internal. Mm. What, so it has built a very powerful system to study the external and sure. intervene with the external. Now it has to bring all that to study of the internal uh, by starting, you know, and the problem with that is it builds its whole, you know, heavy duty equipment for the external based on the assumption that the internal doesn't matter. Mm. So therefore, there's a challenge to science on how it's now going to incorporate the internal into its, uh, you know, heavy-duty machinery of the external. So, cognitive science, you know, so whether it's, so scientists are often fighting with each other whether something is hard science, soft science, truly science, mm. etc. Uh, but I think science has also changed so much now that one can think of other ways of trying to understand where science is going. Right. Um, yeah, where science is going is, um, I think, will more and more unfold in the current day scenario where we're all mixed up in, uh, you know, questions of sociology, ethics, and all of these things going forward. Yeah. And I think people are more and more tending towards the advantages of uh, factoring in uh, the internal world, uh, like how phenomenology lays out uh, methodology to some extent. You know, the point we have to remember is at least for Husserlian phenomenology, if not for Heidegger and others, the question of science is very important. Mm. And one could argue that, uh, you know, those kind of phenomenological approaches are more. Uh, scientific because remember for Husserl phenomenology is the true science of the sciences all mm. sciences true and it is science in the sense uh, it's about certainty you know that's the notion of the science which uh, occurs there but more important the point here is this that um, why it is a higher science is because it does not make the assumption of what science does but but establishes the science or scientific ideas or scientific knowledge by taking into account experience. So let me put it this way. Science can say what it wants about nature by ignoring the question of experience. Okay. And just saying, look, that doesn't matter to me. I'm, this is what I want to say. And my justification will come through interventions like technology and so on. Otherwise, why should we trust in science? Mm. Because you do certain things in the world and it, you can build machines and stuff like that. Okay. So, its justification is through this pragmatic step of science. Right. But Husserl wants to stick with the foundations and say, no, this is, there is a phenomenological moment. It is ex experience is the only thing which is given to us, not just a starting point. It's experience is the only thing which is given to me. Mm. But 
from that mm. i can really pull out the true statements about the world mm. that i can pull out that or in other words i can say experience has within it okay the capacity for objective knowledge mm. that is so as one would say i mean to really understand it we we'll have to look at the various steps of phenomenological method mm. you know notions of essence and invariance and so on but just as a very quick easy way of answering this i would say that what you would uh, claim is that if you want to use this very problematical term subjective and subjective mm. you know uh, if science is says it's all about objective descriptions of the world and internal states are all subjective then phenomenology's point is look either i start with an assumption that there is the subjective objective are present or two i start with the position which is the correct true position that everything anything which a human being states is subjective it arises from the experience of that human mm. being mm. with the world mm. which can come through language which comes through text which comes through observations etc everything's origin is subjective but that does not mean that there is no objectivity that doesn't mean it's solipsism the essence of objectivity the essence in the phenomenological sense the essence of objectivity lies in pure subjectivity mm. in other words the beauty of the whole movement of husserlian methodology is to say that objectivity cannot be a starting assumption an easy lazy assumption mm. which science will make but it has to be philosophically um, grounded and pulled out it's a hard task of doing that mm. that's the very important claim that the very fact that we believe that there is something called objective is itself a product of subjective experience that is so beautifully put that is what the most powerful uh, inside of phenomenology would be in those early in sense mm. now what i'm therefore in the, you can extend this larger thing to say the subject is a very important one mm-hmm. you can bring in many other writers as a phenomenologist by saying the subject you cannot talk about anything without the subject mm-hmm. you know and the indian science uh, indian philosophical traditions the ancient indian philosophical traditions take it one step further by saying in, even including in the descriptions of the world mm-hmm. so for example if you would have like a greek syllogisms or a, a contemporary ways of writing that fire uh, you know smoke um fire causes smoke um which seems like a statement of the world a property of the world there is something called fire in the world it's causing smoke but for indian philosophers it would be rewriting them in terms of cognitive states mm. of uh, you know cognitive uh, being cognizing smoke on the hill and therefore then the next cognition of remembering a statement or remembering a state that where there is uh, smoke there is fire and then the next cognitive state of cognizing that it is the case right now mm. through comparison and then concluding that coming to the fourth cognitive state therefore concluding that uh, you know yes it is true that um, you know there is fire there because i'm seeing smoke those are described entirely in terms of cognitive states not as processes of nature outside the human subject mm. Mm. that's why it's truly phenomenological far more powerfully phenomenological it took western society a very long time western philosophy to even understand the category of experience whereas it is a central core of all indian philosophical thinking mm. 
Mm. Whether it is in the context of analyzing inference or logic as we call it, mm. or of understanding language or whatever, um, it is the core, it is the foundation of it. You know, and that is why it is not an accident that uh, traditions of meditation and yoga etc. all come within these traditions. Because they are really, you know, um, which are automatically products of thinking about uh, the, the centrality of the human experience, the human subject. Uh, in our conversation the other day, you mentioned this as the technology of the body. Technology of the body and mind, yeah. Body and mind, yeah. So if we can just turn the lens now away from the way we look at uh, experience in science, to how it's looked at in art, where it's mostly about, you spoke about meaning, right? yeah. and how this yellow table makes meaning in my life, and what is the relationship, what is that causality, yeah. uh, and how is that affecting me in my house, in my uh, dining room, on my yellow table, uh, right next to which a piece of art is hanging. So, yeah. what about experience can art tell us and, mm. and the philosophy if I may of art also tell us about experience. The question of art has always been very interesting because if you look at the way in which art and science have you know distinguished themselves from each other um, it, you know it's not very surprising that science is put under the domain of reason and art under the domain of emotion mm. and that art is always presented as uh, something which has to do with this internal Mm. as much as science has to do with the external and the way I was explaining it, right? Yes. So if science, art explicitly invokes its relation with the internal. Mm. So there are artists who would say that if you ask for definitions of what is art and what, is, uh, what does it mean to do art, you would say art is, art is that which expresses emotion mm. or art is that which catalyzes certain emotion in you, right? So either I do art because I want you to feel something when you are seeing it Mm. Or I sing a song because I'm feeling in a particular way and I want to express that. Right. So, arts, production of art is very deeply connected to the relationship of the internal states mm. of emotions or whatever you want to call it. And therefore, uh, art, you know, really sticks on very close to the idea of the subject mm. without, without giving up on the importance of the subject. And therefore, some people therefore tend to exaggerate this by disconnecting it from the objective by saying look all art is subjective it's all about the subject mm. but whereas the phenomenological moment will tell you mm. that it every subjective moment has a very deep sense of objective within it and you have to find a method to extract it out that essence of it extract it out mm. and that's why even later writers even within the so-called quote-unquote phenomenological tradition or coming from it post Heidegger like Gadamer and others go back to the question of truth in art Mm. And truth in art has been such an important part of Indian traditions on art as well as modern contemporary traditions. And that doesn't mean that, and, and you know, some people might say, oh, that's just, you're just adding it as extra. No, it comes because all truth has to be recovered from the subjective. Mm. Truth cannot be assumed or assumed or, you know, uh, or by fiat, right? Mm. You, it has to be recovered. And the, that is a hard task. And so art, which is outwardly, makes, uh, 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 you know, an unashamed connection to the subject and to experience and makes a fetish of it, actually. Mm. 
you know owns it very well owns it too much in fact by it gives it an escape uh, wall for it right. you know it's like a shelter and umbrella for it right. you ask somebody why are you drawing all this why are you no that's i'm expressing my emotion and you know because it's your first person word right. which i can't enter i can't say anything to you Correct. so it's actually used uh, rhetorically and politically to protect themselves mm. in some ways but i'm saying conceptually art is not you know completely within that escape within the subject because mm. the any notion of objective should come only from the subject anyway correct so you may escape from it and so on but you cannot escape the fact that there are certain fundamental objective truths you make within artistic practice just like science might want to keep on saying i am only saying about the world i am saying about the world uh, they hide within the world what they don't recognize is uh, that they cannot escape the fact that the subjective is always integral to what they say about the objective world mm. you cannot escape that at all so once you cannot escape that you have to figure out how best to deal with it and therefore the question of the subjective and the subject within science is so important it's central to the possibility of science mm. and uh, the fact that so many artists are in search of external quote and quote or transcendental mm. transcendental element in art is so important you know i don't know of any true very good artist whether they are a painter or a musician etc who never uh, stops telling me about their real truth in their art which is independent of them or even of that uh, artistic practice they are capturing some truth and vision and cosmic etc mm. and that's right because that it is integral to it but we are not seeing it because we are just caught in you know to it's like a political game we are saying zindabad zindabad you know objective zindabad subjective zindabad <laughs> without recognizing that just a political game right. but the real truth of it uh, lies you know in uh, exercises philosophical exercises like phenomenology it's like a melting pot uh, where everything is experienced at the yeah and experience and then to figure out a way to say that look i i accept the fact that my starting point is experience and everything i can say about the world about the truth of it and its independence its independence of me also will come only from my experience mm. that's the crucial point you know there is no god sitting above me and telling me the world is independent of you no if you are a true empiricist if you are truly a grounded person in the sense that you accept only what you experience then the fact that the world is independent of me has to be found within the way i experience the world mm. that's very simple because i come to this room today it is there i come i have the experience of having come to it yesterday it was there and i have experience of coming after 10 minutes it is there from all that experience my experience i then start inferring i then start deducing i said do other things to say that hey the, you know what the room is independent of me and maybe there is a world of reality which is independent of me that may seem very obvious statement but that is deduced only from your experiences cannot come from outside it we've spoken about um the internal external uh the two uh, apparent uh 
disciplines of uh, you know art and science and in which they have their own politics and speaking about politics and god and how we are put in the context of our everyday lives uh, how you go out of your house and how you uh, unconsciously use the door knob without thinking oh i should open it in a certain way you you just do it you open the door and you're out and like this how do we um, deal with society in some sense so we've spoken about experience in art and mm. experience in science so how do we if we can uh, round yeah. up this conversation uh, how do we experience the social time back to your own work yeah if you can just uh, okay very quickly i mean there's a lot of interesting points in this uh, one okay you could look at the politics of uh, discipline like social sciences Mm. so just like psychology we don't know whether it's a art or a science mm. how to deal with the experience you could look at the question of the social sciences and then you'll say social sciences what happens you want to make the study of society as scientific as possible mm. and if you want to make it as scientific as possible you do the first rule of creating science remove the subject mm. remove qualities which are related to the subject in our my description of society So it's very odd unlike uh, talking about uh, you know heavenly bodies and the way they move here when i'm talking about society my own family and friends and the people i live with mm-hmm. and suffer with and struggle with every day mm-hmm. i'm supposed to find uh, a so called objective way of descriptions of them mm-hmm. and that's why you know i think that that, uh, that terrible disease inf- infects a lot of social science and sociology and so mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. because it tends to then want to see it in a particular manner mm-hmm. because because science has to discover how to engage with this question of uh, the subjective mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so um so one of the re- why i'm saying that is you know so um one way in which it you can try and understand this is to look at society structurally and look at it in terms of institutions and the way you know macro processes happen and so on mm. but if you bring in the question of experience then you will have to ask what kind of a social science is it which begins with uh, individual experiences <clears throat> the so called subjective experiences is the foundation from which you can build truths about the nature of society mm. just like you think you're building truth, science is building truths about the nature of the universe if you're talking so about social sciences or understanding society then you can ask how do i construct the truths of social life mm-hmm. social organization social meaning social actions and so on and um, you know i think this whole suspicion towards experience and the subjective um, has really influenced particular way in which it grows um, particularly coming from the european tradition but in our latest book gopal and me uh, in our book called experience cast and everyday social we sort of go back to the question of experience in order to um look at a very important uh, question of how do we understand uh, things like caste mm. and religious practices mm. and make the argument that you know we we have um, our recognition of caste and the category of caste not because it is something which has been given in a text or some people are saying this and so on mm. but it is actually grounded in the experiences which we associated with caste mm. and that becomes a very important uh, uh, you know way of understanding 
how the social is permeated by experience mm. and we need to find a particular way of um, using experience as a category in order to come to these kind of conclusions. There's a lot in this, I mean, our crack mirror also began with that question, mm. um, how much does experience of individuals matter uh, to the descriptions of them? Because if, we, if as part of uh, social science work, I'm describing communities, like let's say, you know, um, communities, caste groups or Dalits or Muslims or, you know, uh, Brahmins or whatever, mm. or men, upper caste men or different types of classifications and categories which people all work in these disciplines then the question is um, how do their sense of identity come from is it related to questions of experience or not mm. and uh, so the crack mirror was about that and mm. uh, you know we do something um, show the connection between experience and social theory in that sense yeah so, but there's yeah there's a you know there's a huge amount of stuff which we need to find ways to bring in questions of experience into the social sciences so right lovely uh, for, for all the listeners I would really um, suggest that you pick up Sundar's books and read them to better understand uh, where he's coming from and what he means by uh, experience in the social realm so I think this is a broad and a good understanding where we've touched upon ideas of uh, phenomenology, ideas of experience in science, uh, art and uh, sociology, society, uh, all of this. Um, I thank you very much, Sundar. No, uh, it has been pleasure. a pleasure, <laughs> absolute pleasure to do this with I'm you. sorry, we, we talked about a lot of very complex topics in a very short time. Yeah. But I hope, you know, as I said, my own um, effort at doing all this is just to make people think about why certain categories matter, why we think the way we do, not what various philosophers are saying. So I hope they start thinking about what is this category called experience? Why should it be important? Mm. Or why is it a problem to deal with it, etc. Mm. So yeah, this is great fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Not at all. Bye. Yeah. This podcast is an attempt to build transdisciplinary bridges exploring nuances and roles of experience in the first, second and third person perspectives as evident in the Experiential Cognition Lab Manifesto. To find out more, subscribe to the XPC Lab podcast Anubhava. You can now listen to new episodes here at XPC Lab Online on Anchor, Spotify and SoundCloud. You can find links to all of this and more in the podcast description. This show is produced by Holy Cow Studio. Visit holycowstudio.in slash home slash xpc dash lab for more information. We are on Instagram at xpc.laboratory. Thanks for listening. I'm Shashank Satish for the XPC Lab and I will be back next time for another episode in exploring experience, philosophy, art science and more through Anubhava. Namaste.